Hello, podcast friends and family, and welcome back to the Back Pain and Injury Podcast, episode number 122. Delighted yet again to bring you Jack March, aka the Rheumatology Physio, a physiotherapist with extensive knowledge of all things rheumatology. Today, we are talking about polymyalgia rheumatica, or PMR, actually quite a common condition that is seen across MSK therapist um, clinics throughout the world or throughout the UK. Now, today we discuss what to expect with PMR, what it looks like, how you know if you've got it, what tests are needed to diagnose it, and then how it can be treated and how it can be managed both at the rheumatologist level, the GP level, and also by us as therapists. So if you are suffering or you know someone who's suffering from PMR, then please share this episode with them. It means the world to us. And also, as always, if you are struggling with pain and you don't know where to turn, head on over to thebackpainpodcast.com. On there, we have our directly, directory where you can simply pop in your postcode and you'll find someone who is tried and tested by us local to you to help you out with your pain or injury or whatever is going on. So head on over there if you are stuck. But that's it from me. Sit back and I'll leave you with Jack March. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So, if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. And welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. Delighted to introduce again, I think for the third, maybe fourth time, Jack March, expert on all things rheumatology. Jack, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, I've lost count. Yeah, I think it's too many now. Is that can we say too many? No, we can't. But thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Cer- certainly, don't ask me to recount what we've talked about already. No. <laughs> I, I couldn't either. Right, mate. So we're going to jump straight into it. We're talking today about polymyalgia rheumatica or PMR. What is it? Uh, PMR, or apart from being difficult to say, is quite an interesting uh, disease. Really, in that we don't really know what causes it. So. Um, if we were to think about other diseases which are sort of similar, like rheumatoid arthritis, then we we know quite a lot of detail how that how you know the process of how it starts, what causes it, what happens within the body. With polymyalgia rheumatica, we don't really know. Um, so that then leads to some complicated things regarding treatments and and lack thereof of um, of effective treatments. So what is it? What do we think it is? Um, so it's a auto-inflammatory disease. So the inflammatory system, your inflammatory system is reacting against your own tissues. So that's the auto part. Um, And the current proposal is it probably is affecting where the muscles join tendons. So if you think of a muscle um, has to attach to bone and the muscle itself doesn't do that it goes into a tendon which then attaches to bone and it's that joint between or the area where the muscle turns into tendon that's probably the main inflamed part so that's why it affects very large muscle groups which i'm sure we will go on to talk about um it also is has some added complications in that um about a quarter of people with pmr have also symptoms that look like rheumatoid arthritis as well, um, affecting sort of the fingers or the toes. Um, so yeah, it's a bit bit of a challenging one, really. So we'll get on to the kind of the presentation of what it looks like in in, in a minute. But are there certain populations of of people who are at a higher risk of getting it or more likely to get it? 
Yeah. So the it's it. it it occurs in older people. Um, don't, don't want to offend anybody, but um, the so again, if I just go back to rheumatoid arthritis, for example, that, that onsets, you know, most people between thirty and sixty. Whereas this um, is almost exclusively in people over the age of sixty, and a really interesting peak at exactly age sixty-five. Um, we don't really know why that is. It's just a one of those quirks of statistics probably um and also it occurs more in women than it does in men so about three women to every one man will be diagnosed with pmr is is it um, a, a postmenopausal thing is that you know due to the spike in in that is there an, any correlation with that or is it just simply a an, an age thing well you have to make that assumption, but then it happens in men in the same age group, um, and they obviously don't have the same menopausal process that women do. So it can't be exclusively that, um, but you would have to ex- assume there's got to be a, a little bit of a process there, But which would might be why three times more women uh, get it than men. Um, so, so yes, but we, again, we don't know, um, well, I say we, <laughs> uh, far more intelligent people than I don't know. Okay. So then what is the, the clinical picture? How does someone who has PMR typically, and it's obviously going to be a typical presentation, but how do they typically present? Mm. Yeah. So typical presentation would be quite an acute, so, um, sudden onset of, um, bilateral. So both sided shoulder pain, um, with really significant shoulder stiffness. Um, that's about 90% of the presentations will occur with that. Um, is often significantly worse in the morning. So you're looking at, you wake up first thing in the morning and you've got pain and stiffness in your shoulders lasting at least 45 minutes, if not more. Um, and that's sort of a feeling of stiffness. You feel like your shoulders are stiff. They don't necessarily have lost their range of motion, but they feel very stiff, like they need some oiling or something. Um, and that can occur with, um, we would call it pelvic girdle, um, pain and stiffness as well, but that sort of pain that's around the buttocks, around to the front of the thighs, um, maybe a little bit into the abdomen um, as well. So that's that's not uncommon, um, but it is much more uncommon for the, for the pelvic um, area to be the only thing affected um, rather than the shoulders. So like I say, about 90% of people are going to have that sudden onset of both sided shoulder pain um, and that extreme stiffness. Um, it can come with some other associated symptoms as well, fatigue, um, um, depression, weight loss um, can be associated as well. And those are all markers of high levels of inflammation, um, unfortunately. Um, and then, as I mentioned, about one in four, so 25%. So it's, again, not in, uncommon, um, can get some swelling of the knuckle joints or the or the toe joints, um, a bit like rheumatoid arthritis. So you might see red, hot, swollen fingers, um, again, worse in the morning with some stiffness. Um, there can be some waking in the night as well. Um, usually the second half of the night. So after around 2 a.m., people will wake up with the symptoms. Um, That's, you know, that's pretty common as well. And so can you have one or the other? So as you said, it's rare in isolation to just have kind of the hips and and the low back pelvic girdle area. Can you, you know, do you need to have that as well as the shoulders or can the shoulders alone be a, um, a, a diagnostic indicator? 
Yeah, so most commonly it'll be the shoulders um, and probably about half of patients will also have the pelvic girdle pain and stiffness. It's quite often my experience, I don't, I don't know whether this is reflected in um, you know, research, but my experience is if people do have the pelvic girdle pain and stiffness, it's less significant than the shoulder. They, they come into your clinic because they have the pain in their shoulders and then you ask them about other areas and they're like, yeah, my hips are a bit sore and stiff. Um, whereas, you know, it's the shoulders that are the main problem. Uh, t- t- makes a uh, makes total sense so then that diagnosis of that is it purely based on that do we just say you know in these people of the certain age and and based on gender and they've got some stiffness in the morning is that it and we give them a diagnosis mm-hmm. or are there more tests that we or the the gps or the experts or the rheumatologists can then do yeah so it's actually you can actually be very very specific so Despite not knowing much about how it occurs, we are we can be very specific with our diagnosis, and it's usually done by the GP. You don't, don't wouldn't as standard refer polymyalgia rheumatica to a to a rheumatologist, um, but you go through a framework and there's a scoring system. So um, you would be over the age of 50, um, you would have raised inflammatory markers in your blood, um, and you would have bilateral, as we mentioned, so both sided shoulder pain and stiffness. Um, So those three must be present. And then you would then go into a scoring system, which um, is a bit more complicated, but it basically is no signs of rheumatoid arthritis or anything else that could be causing the symptoms. Um, And the same was, so those would be sort of your symptoms. Um, So no symptoms in the fingers or the toes and no other swollen joints, um, but also no other uh, blood tests being positive that might indicate rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or something similar. Um, and then you get a bit of an extra score if you've got um, hip involvement. So that's then the the pelvic girdle, sort of the, that area pain. Um, so you you have a scoring system. So you can be really accurate um, on it or a, or a health professional can be. You can't really do it yourself because you need those blood blood tests. Um, but yeah, really, really, um, really quite accurate. And as you mentioned, there are there are atypical versions of polymyalgia rheumatica, but they are extremely rare. Um, so the, you know, the typical version of PMR is typical. You don't really see, you know, you don't see patients particularly under the age of 50, like never do you don't ever see it. You, you almost never, you know, to the case of rheumatologists in a career might see two polymyalgia rheumatica patients with negative blood results. So no inflammatory markers. So, you know, they're seeing lots and, it's extremely rare uh, to have that. So for people like myself and you, Rob, when we're working in outside of a rheumatology department, you know, we will go with those things as saying, you know, if you don't have positive inflammatory blood markers, you don't have polymyodramatica. Um, um, you've got something else is more likely. I think that's, that's, that's really good to note as well, because there are probably people who might be worried about it and they're being told you know, their, their bloods are negative. They can be, you know, very, very confident that, that it's not that, even if they might yeah. think it is. What Correct. are the the blood markers that you mentioned? What are the kind of, you know, there's some acronyms that get thrown around. What are, what are mm-hmm. those? Yeah, so the inflammatory markers are ESR or erythrocyte sedimentation rate, which essentially is how fast your red blood cells sink to the bottom of a test tube. Um, and then C-reactive protein or CRP, which is a protein in your bloodstream, which is um, a marker of, acute inflammation um and in essentially a hundred percent of patients with polymyodramatica uh one or both of those will be elevated um and quite significantly so um normal result for example for an esr is below 25 and you're looking 
in PMR above 50 probably um, and CRP is normal below five and again looking above 50 so quite well raised um, and then other bloods that we would do would be to rule out other conditions so you might do anti-CCP uh, which are antibodies and um, a rheumatoid factor to rule out or make sure rheumatoid arthritis is much less likely um, and you might do what's called an ANA um, um, which is another antibody um, which makes lupus much less likely um so you're doing those other tests just to doesn't say you know say you came back and you had an ana positive for example it's not like oh oh, okay it's lupus but it just makes the diagnosis much harder um so then you would send people to a rheumatologist and go you know please can you make sure this is definitely polymyodramatica before i go treating them incorrectly and I guess, as with all, all conditions, it's a, it swings around about. So it's a bit of this, bit of that, bit of that, and it builds this picture with the Correct. clinical picture as well to become a diagnosis. It's not just you've got some shoulder pain and and a raised DSR. It's definitely this. There's lots of other factors that collaborate together to kind of arrive at the correct diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know, it's about understanding the individual in front of you, um, and also to a degree, we have to go with what's likely. So. Um, you know, if you think a polymyodromatica, for example, affects about 0.3% of the population, um, whereas rheumatoid arthritis affects about 1% of the population. So as soon as you have, you know, it, it is much rarer to have polymyodromatica that affects your fingers than it is to have rheumatoid arthritis. Like it's way rarer. So you, as soon as you or I would see someone with finger swelling, we would immediately, despite whether they presented with, if they were 65, very stiff painful shoulders we would immediately think regardless of any other symptoms probably um we would think that's primarily going to be rheumatoid arthritis because it's you know maybe seven or eight times more likely um so we would take that route to begin with um than we before polymadramatica so it's even though the exact same presentation occurs um so it's it is really difficult and it's overlap i talked to when i teach um Healthcare professionals, I talk about the overlaps of these rheumatology conditions. Polymyodromatica is a classic one um, where they overlap with others and they just look like something else. And it just makes life very, very difficult. And that's that can be really frustrating for, for people with the symptoms because they come into your clinic, Rob, and you go, well, you know, they might have Googled their symptoms. They go, oh, I've got classic, I'm 65. Well, I listened to Jack on your podcast and I'm 65 and all this bilateral shoulder pain and this really severe stiffness in the morning. I think I've definitely got polymyodramatica. And you go, well, your fingers are a little bit swollen. So actually it might be rheumatoid arthritis, nigga. And then there's this, but I don't know, because yes, mm-hmm. your symptoms are correlated with PMR as well. So then there can be this sort of lack of or indecision maybe is maybe not the right word but it, it, that can be quite frustrating as well because people want to go oh just tell me what's wrong and then i can deal with it and you're like yeah. well it could be many number of these things and we need someone else to help us yeah oh, that's amazing and I, I guess there is some kind of debate around whether it's a condition in, in its own right or kind of a masquerader of other conditions you know as you said some of these will kind of go towards ra at a later date mm-hmm. you know you know nearly a quarter so it's whether it's a kind of a precursor to that and maybe we just don't live long enough for it to kind of raise its head in some uh, in, in in some patients and and a change over time basically yeah and that that's really difficult like you're totally right it's about, about a quarter maybe even a third of people with bmr pmr sorry will go on to develop rheumatoid arthritis and then you go well was the PMR the first stage of their rheumatoid arthritis or did they have a diff- have that disease and it de- developed into something else? 
Yeah. Uh, great, yeah, that's it. great question of our time. That will be, um, and, and we don't know. As healthcare professionals, we know how important medical imaging can be for diagnosing and treating patients. But if you want to book a scan for yourself, navigating waiting times, costs and admin can be daunting. Scan.com are here to help you. They are the UK's largest diagnostic imaging platform with a network of over 160 imaging centres to choose from, making scans more accessible, faster and more affordable. Included in their pricing is telephone consultations pre- and post-scan, alongside a readable report explaining the findings to you without the medical jargon. Visit the scan.com website to find out more. What about scans? Um, do we ever refer these patients for MRI scans, PET scans, CT scans? There's, is there any clinical benefit to that? Not as standard. Um, there are some imaging changes that can be seen, um, but they're not um, particularly specific to PMR. So um, you can see some changes in your biceps tendons, for example, uh, commonly, and um, that can be seen on ultrasound. Um, sometimes you might see synovitis, so um, um, inflammation of the capsule of the shoulder. Um, as well. And um, that, so those things are possible, but then a lot of things will cause that. And they can also occur just without any symptoms whatsoever. So it wouldn't be done as standard. You, probably, you, you might get it in the rheumatology department, um, but and let, you know, you, you know, if you go to a clinician um, who already does ultrasound scanning, they've got an ultrasound scanner in the room, um, then they might well do it and have a look um, because it's not going to take up any time or or anything like that. But um, I wouldn't, you know, your GP is unlikely to refer you for imaging for that. They're just going to send you for, for, um, to the rheumatologist or, or treat it accordingly. It's, it's something that it can help in some situations, but most of the time it's not necessary. Okay. And then, so I'd like to move on to kind of treatment of this, which is obviously the, the, the crux of managing PMR. Mm. But I'd like to ask a question that a patient actually asked me when, you know, I thought, you know, she had PMR and wanted to refer her. And her kind of argument was, why do I need treatment? Because at the moment it's, you know, I'm a bit stiff, but within an hour I've had a shower and a hot bath and I'm kind of okay that, that's it, really. Why does it need to be treated? Do they always just progressively get worse? They, polymanage rheumatica tends to, well, it tends to not necessarily get a lot worse. It can do, um, but it, it tends to not improve. Um, it doesn't just seem to go away um, as much as we might will it to. Um, the main issue, there's two main issues, really, um, and why we would treat almost every patient is um, the risk of it developing into rheumatoid arthritis, um, and that, that brings with it significant difficulties, um, but also the risk of long-term inflammation is actually quite high. Um, so people with um, these inflammatory diseases, um, they are quite significantly high, at higher risk of having things like strokes and heart attacks. Um, the inflammation causes a lot of problems with your cardiovascular system. Um, so those are the main, pro main things. Now, your next question, which will be how do we treat it, brings with it its own complication. Um, and so it is a trade-off. And this is where we need to People need to understand what informed consent is, understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and the pros and cons of not doing it. If it helps anybody, if it was me, I would absolutely treat it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I've seen, you know, I, I've seen a lot more patients with these diseases than most people have. And when they are older, they struggle. And I wouldn't want that. Yeah. 
So then put on that thread, how is it treated, you know, from first instance to, to latter stages? Yeah, so it's almost exclusively treated with steroids. Um, so oral um, prednisolone, um, so tablet form steroids. Um, and there are specific protocols. So you take a certain amount um, and you take that for a to, um, for for a little while, usually about a month, six weeks or something. And then you start to wean down. So you come down slowly. So um, let's say you take something like 30 milligrams, you would then um, come down about five milligrams every couple of weeks um, and see what happens. So this is where it becomes really challenging because you don't really have anything else um, that's good for polymyodramatica because we don't really know what causes it. You can't really, you can't just fling random drugs at it um, and see what sticks. So we have to go with prednisolone, which is suppresses the the inflammatory system, sorry, um, quite significantly. And that does get the symptoms down. That's one of the markers. So, you know, if if it does if 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 you've been diagnosed with polymyodramatica and you don't respond to oral prednisolone, it's not polymyodramatica; it's something else. Um, so that's one thing that that occasionally happens. Um, but you you would see a very very good, if not complete, resolution of symptoms very quickly within a few days of oral prednisolone, um, and then weaning down. Now, one of the problems is we don't know what happens to individuals. So. I might get polymyodramatica. I might take one set of steroids, wean down and be absolutely fine. You might get polymyodramatica, Rob, and you take steroids, you come down 10, 15 milligrams and it flares back up again and you have to take it again and again quite repeatedly. Um, because there's nothing else we can change it to, we, we just have to keep going. Um, and what I would say to people is if you're being managed by your GP, and you fled three times, I would be asking for a referral to a rheumatologist to clarify it's definitely polymyodramatica. It may well be, and there are people that just keep flaring, unfortunately. Um, but I would want that clarified then because it might be that the diagnosis was was incorrect and it was rheumatoid arthritis or something else. Um, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm not sure, but steroids helps pretty much everything. Um, so... You know, if if the diagnosis it originally wasn't correct, then you would still be bene- take a benefit from the prednisolone. So it, it is really challenging. And the steroids uh, and the steroids don't necessarily confirm the diagnosis because, as you said, everything feels better on steroids. So whether it's RA correct. or something else or lupus, yeah, you, you're going to so, feel better taking forty milligrams of prednisolone quite quickly. Correct. Yeah. So so a negative result would confirm it not being polymyodramatica, but a positive result, you're correct, yeah. wouldn't confirm it definitely being polymyodramatica. Um it could be blood it could be anything. Yeah. And I guess there's and I've noticed as well in lots of patients there are you know, very, very minor changes that can cause a big flare up. So, you know, between four and five milligrams, which is yeah. a very low dose of prednisolone, they'll be absolutely fine on five and they drop down to four and they might have been on five for a month. They drop down to four and then actually, oh, I can feel they're starting to come back again. They go up to five and then they're okay again. And it's this kind of, you know, bouncing between these doses to kind of try and get it as low mm-hmm. as possible. Because, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk about in a moment, the risks of steroids long term aren't great. Um, so we want to try and get people on a low, as low a dose as possible for the, for the shortest time. Yeah, absolutely. So what are the risks then of, of these medications? If this is kind of the only medication that we have for this, if it is definitely PMR, you know, people feel better. Obviously there are risks associated with it. What are the risks mm-hmm. of, of steroid use? Yeah, so um, they unfortunately quite quickly will cause you to lose 
um, bone density. Um, so potentially leading to osteoporosis. Um, they can also affect your muscle uh, bulk, um, causing what's called steroid my myopathy, which is basically a lo loss of steroid, uh, loss of steroids, sorry, a loss of muscle. Um, so both of those things can be dipped off. Um, you can also get um, some changes. You get a, quite a characteristic facial change. So it can affect your lymphatic system. So you get, um, it's quite sort of, um, untactfully called moon face, but you get sort of a, a rounder face. Um, and though, and that's sort of, if you get that moon face, then it's sort of a sign that it's affecting your body, um, significantly. Um, so if someone was to get that, then they try to often try to wean them down more quickly. Um, so, you know, even going out longer term, it can affect your immune system as well. But mostly those problems with your bone density and your muscle bulk are really problematic. So then you go back to the uh, demographics we talked about. So this is mostly affecting women of over the age of 60. So they're postmenopausal. Um, and 10 years after the menopause, you're, you are significantly at risk of your bone density dropping off. Um, so they're in that period of time as well. And then you give them the steroids and it and it is really problematic for for bone density. So um, the um, people on who take more than two weeks of steroids, prednisolone, um, will be already be given bone protection as standard. So something like vitamin D and calcium, um, and you know, loading programs. So exercise programs are really beneficial as well. Um, so, and they are pretty effective in all honesty. Um, but it's about you know, unfortunately. If you fit into those categories, especially the women, but if you fit into this category of polymaldromatica plus the steroids, you've got to do something about your bone density, um, which is really, you know, then you're going, well, then you come see someone like me and I'm going, you need to do these exercises and you go, well, I I feel fatigued and um, I don't feel very great. My shoulders are stiff and they're painful all the time and I keep waking up in the night so I'm tired and now you want me to exercise and I go, mm, yeah, sorry, unfortunately, yeah. yes. It's a bit um, of a vicious cycle, isn't it? It yeah, is, it yeah. is a bit. So, um, yeah, un unfortunately, that's, that is the case. And there are a few other conditions that we kind of have to stay alert for as therapists and obviously, again, for patients who are suffering with this, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's headaches and visual symptoms, what's going on there? Yeah, so there is a really rare condition, and it's very rare, um, called um, giant cell arteritis. Um, and the reason that we bring it up in this conversation is it is slightly more likely in people with Um, but it also... Uh, use the, you use the word masquerades. It has um, the same or similar symptoms to polymaldromatica. So um, the shoulder stiffness and um, and pain, especially in the morning. Um, but it's a type of it's actually, it's a vasculitis. So it's an inflammatory condition of the blood vessels. Um, so it is very dangerous and um, can cause you to go blind. Unfortunately, very very quickly. Um, so. It's typical symptoms are headaches, as you mentioned, especially temporal headaches um, and uh, scalp pain. So people report pain brushing their hair or wearing a hat uh, or even their glasses. Um, then you can also get this condition where it's called jaw claudication, but it's basically where the blood vessels that, that uh, supply the muscles to your jaw uh, become narrowed. And they um, so as you chew, they be it becomes progressively more painful. Um, so anybody with polymaldromatica um, if you start getting those symptoms, so a headache that lasts 48 hours or more, scalp pain, the jaw symptoms, um, then it's an A&E 
job really um rather than you know don't leave it for certain um, but you really want to be getting some help there but it is extremely rare you know again i worked in a rheumatology department um and i saw like three of them um so the, so you it is very unlikely but if it does happen it is severe okay and then kind of last question before i've taken up enough of your your valuable valuable evening i'm sure so last question where do we come in with this so you know obviously outside of i know you worked in a rheumatology department but outside oh. of that as the you're kind of the run-of-the-mill msk therapist physios osteos chiros how can we help patients with pmr not just recognizing it but how can we help them manage it for the longer term so the main um the main benefit will be sort of general health um, so advice around um, keeping active, having a healthy diet, um, not smoking, not drinking too much alcohol. Those are going to be the really impactful things. There isn't really, because we don't really know what's going on, there isn't anything we can do particularly specifically. So, you know, you or I are not going to help the polymyogeomatica specifically uh, to be better. Um, but on the flip side of that, because of that, we're also not going to make it worse. Um, so that's a good good thing. Um, the only other time we might intervene in a bit more of a specific way is if someone's struggling with a specific function. So let's say, so because it's affecting shoulders, um, then quite often lifting overhead, for example, or, or the strength of the arms um, can be affected. So, so intervening specifically there, usually with exercise, um, can help to bring that or improve that. Um, and and that's about it, really. There isn't much else. Um, unfortunately, we can intervene on. Um, I, we talked about obviously the bone density, the muscle bulk from using steroids. Um, those things we can be really impactful on. Um, so advising on how to load the areas that you want to um, for bone density um, in a in a way that's going to be effective um, is is well within our skill set, and, and we should definitely be doing so. That so that's really important. Oh, good. So I'm glad there's there's something that we can do with it. It's not just ship everyone off to a rheumatologist and kind of you know let people suffer. That's good. No. Um, Jack, as always, you've been brilliant. You know, you speak so clearly on these topics. It's really good to uh, to have you on yet again. I think I, th I had a look. I, th I think this is number four. Um, number four. That you've you've been on. So thank you so much for for taking time to to have a chat to us. Where can people go to find out more about you? For any therapists listening, where can they go to find out about your courses and so on? Uh, best place is probably my website, which is just rheumatology.physio. Um, don't need any of the www dot stuff on that. Um, there's all the information's there. Um, I've, there's some free stuff on there, videos, podcasts, blogs that I've written over time. Um, there's a shop where there are some books, uh, like you said, they're mostly aimed at, at clinicians. They're not necessarily patient facing. Um, and I'm on social media as well. If you just type the rheumatology physio in there, into, what is there? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram. LinkedIn. No, well, I do have a TikTok account, but I think there's only one video on it. <laughs> I don't know if it's even loaded in my phone. So maybe You're not, not with TikTok, the kids. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other ones, just type the rheumatology physio in and I do, do tend to come up. Brilliant. We will put all the links in the show notes as well for anyone listening. You can click on uh, click on the links. And obviously you've got information about your courses, which I know I've been on quite a few of them and they are very, very valuable. So brilliant. Thank you everyone for listening and thanks Jack for joining us and we'll catch you all on the next episode of the Back Pain and Injury Podcast. Over and out. Bye.